You are listening to Episode 8 of Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 14 Petrus Orbital, 2352, June 16 When I got to the cabin, I was surprised to find the captain alone. Under the circumstances, I'd expected to find all the senior officers present. I gave a little mental shrug. She hired me alone. She could fire me alone. Except she didn't appear to be getting ready to fire me. Come in, Mr. Huang, she said with a smile. Please have a seat. She indicated the conversational grouping around a low table. Thank you, Captain, I said, and sat. Did you see that the Audrey had docked? she asked. Yes, Captain, I was about to put my jacket out when your call came, I said. Do you want to go there, Mr. Huang, she asked. Not particularly, Captain, but even a poor berth is better than none. I talked to Captain Peters about you when I saw the Audrey had the opening, she said. The berth is Gregor Avery's. He was arrested in Dunsany for fighting, and the authorities wouldn't let him leave, so the Audrey is short. They've got a machinist working the watches now, but they're not happy with his performance, so they've posted the berth. She gave one of those exasperating pauses then, and I didn't know if I was supposed to speak or if she was just catching her breath. Thank you for looking into it, Captain, I said. I asked Ernest not to hire you, she said. I wanted you to hear it from me. Thank you, Captain, I said automatically, but I was having trouble getting my brain untangled. She looked at me with an odd expression, like she wasn't sure why I was thanking her. I wasn't sure myself, truth be told. She waited for several moments, but I couldn't imagine what she was waiting for. That's all you have to say, Mr. Huang, she asked. Thank you, Captain? I hate it when I miscues, and apparently I had. I cast my brain back, but I was having trouble concentrating. Yes, Captain, I said. I'm a bit confused, but thank you for telling me directly. You're welcome, Mr. Wong, she said with an amused little smile. We sat there, and she looked at me as if expecting me to do something, and I began to panic a little. Is there something else, Captain? I asked. She laughed. You're not going to ask, are you? If the Captain wants me to know, I'm certain I'll be informed, I said a bit stiffly. You have so much faith in me, she asked gently. Yes, Captain, I do. Thank you, Mr. Huang, she said after a few moments. Well, you're welcome, Captain. After another long pause, she asked, Tell me, Mr. Huang, have you ever considered the Academy? I laughed. I couldn't help it. It was just so unexpected, and on top of everything else, it just burst out. I'm sorry, Captain, I said, when I could get it under control. It's just that I've been asked that a lot lately. She didn't seem offended that I'd laughed, but seemed amused herself. Really? Who else has asked? Mr. Von Eichels brought up the subject during the last testing period, Captain. He's been quite insistent that I think beyond the immediate difficulties of attendance. Has he? she asked. I could see her making the mental note, and I hoped I hadn't got him in trouble. Yes, Captain, he really seems to think I should go. What do you think, Mr. Huang? she asked. Seriously, Captain? I asked. Please, Ishmael, tell me what you think, she said. Well, first I thought he was crazy, I said, meaning no disrespect to him, of course. I added quickly. None taken, she said with a little laugh. Please continue. Well, I don't know what I expected, but as the captain knows better than I, the academy is a college. Yes, she said, and a good one. I was expecting something like boot camp, I said. College is, well, it's college. I've grown up with the university as my neighbor, so I'm pretty familiar with how colleges work. Well, there's a certain boot camp aspect to it, so if you're disappointed that it's not boot camp, I think I can assure you from personal experience that you're wrong. <laughs> Even I had to laugh a bit at that. No, captain, I'm not disappointed, I said. But colleges are expensive. This one is not any more expensive than most, and I had a hard time thinking that I could justify that kind of cred on a college. Had a hard time, she pressed. Have you changed your mind? Well, not exactly, Captain. Mr. Von Nichols is right. I'm taking too short-term a view. One thing I do know is that having an education and the credentials that back it up is pretty important. 
I'm young and stupid, but my mother, the professor, taught me at least that lesson. Go on, Mr. Huang. Well, money aside, I haven't had so much fun in my life as I've had since you took me on at Neris. I've learned a lot, and I've made friends like I've never had, ever. You've become like a family to me, I said. I knew I'd cross the line at some point, but she wasn't frowning, and so I plowed on. These last few days, starting with the news that I was being bumped and through that whole mess with the EMP and the scrubbers and all, and I really began to think that maybe I do belong out here in the deep dark. Don't you have some reservations? she asked gently. Well, yes, Captain. I've been aboard less than a year. Will I still feel this way at the end of my contract? Will I want to renew? I don't know, I said. I can't imagine sitting here today that I wouldn't want to, but what if I'm wrong and it's just the novelty of it that I'm enjoying? That's a fair question, she said. How does that apply to the Academy? The Academy is a huge commitment in time and money, and I'm never going to be 100% certain, but right at the moment I really don't know, I said seriously, and I don't have the 60,000 credits to gamble on it. She smiled. Let me just see if I understand this. You're not worried about whether or not you can be successful at the Academy, you're just worried that you'll get out and decide you don't like being an officer. Well, nothing against officers, Captain, but I'm more concerned that I'll get tired of being out here and I'll have spent the time and money to qualify for a job I might not like. She sat back in her chair and looked at me hard. I think I see, Mr. Huang, she said. So how are you going to address this uncertainty? How certain will you need to be? Well, Captain, I have a contract that expires in something over a year. If I'm still having this much fun then as I am now, then I'll feel a lot better about trying to scrape up the necessary creds to attend. I think you qualify for financial aid, Mr. Huang, she said with a grin. If you have any further thoughts on the Academy, would you share them with me, she asked. Of course, Captain, but I hardly think I'm going to come to any world-shaking decisions in the next couple of days, I said, probably with more bitterness than I intended. She smiled at me, though, and said, thank you, Mr. Huang, dismissed. I stood to leave, and she said quietly, have faith for a couple more days, Ishmael. Of course, Captain, I said. I know I'm in no immediate danger. She threw back her head and laughed out loud as I quietly closed the door behind me. She was definitely up to something. I wasn't sure what, but I did trust her. I just hoped she could pull off what she thought she could. We had to be close now, or she wouldn't have posted the pull-out schedule. But that made me think of something else, and I headed down to the environmental section to check on Diane. When I got there, she had her head in the back of the number four scrubber. I tried to shuffle my feet and make noise so I wouldn't startle her, but it wasn't enough. Having problems? I asked. She jumped and banged her head. Sludge monkey! She said with her head still in the scrubber. I'm sorry, I called. I tried to make enough noise that you'd hear me. She pulled her head out of the scrubber and rubbed the back where she'd bumped it. Are you lost, little boy? She asked with a wicked grin. Yeah, I think so, I grinned back. Are you going to take me to your house and feed me candy? Honey, she said with a wink, if I ever get the chance to take you to my house, it ain't going to be to feed you candy. And she laughed. So what's up? She asked more seriously, reaching back down into the scrubber. Audrey Moore docked this morning, I told her. They have an EV3 slot open. Another one? Same one. Gregor got arrested for fighting in Dunsany. Figures, she said. You going to apply? I shrugged. I may have to, I told her ambiguously. I'm trying to give the captain a chance to keep me aboard. Time's running out-ish, she said, backing out of the scrubber finally. Bastard, she spit. Who, me? I asked. No, CC, she said. Look at this. She held up the swab she'd been using in the field collection plate. Yick, good thing you cleaned it. I said. Colby claims he took care of it. What? This was scheduled for his watch last night. He said it was done. This is what I found on the collector plate. Back up. Last I heard, he wasn't doing the maintenance at all. And I wouldn't let him get away with it and told Brill. She had a little talk with him, and the upshot is that he hasn't passed off any maintenance for me to do, but this is what he did last night. Scheduled maintenance on the field collection plate on the number four scrubber. Does he have the numbers wrong? I hadn't thought of that, she said, and bolted off to look. 
I followed along behind and peered as we checked them out one by one. None of them looked like they'd been cleaned as recently as the previous watch, even if it was late in the day. Bastard, Diane repeated. Now what? I shrugged. You find Brill and tell her. I need to see a man about a bag of sneaky, I think. A what? she asked. Nothing, I said with a grin. We need a little more information, and I think I know who to ask. I pulled out my tablet and bipped Mr. Von Nichols. The reply was almost instantaneous. Ship's office. David Bendar had the messenger duty and was sitting with him when I got there. Excuse me, sir, but could I have a little talk with you about a personal matter? David was a good guy and he took the cue. I'll just go grab some coffee, maybe see how Roan's doing. When he'd gone, Mr. Von Nichols asked, What is it, Ish? Well, sir, it's the new guy. He's causing some problems down in environmental and I need some advice. Maybe I need somebody with some specialized training in sneakiness to help me. He grinned at that and said, Pull up a chair, Ish. Tell me all about it. I gave him the two-tick recap of the situation that I'd observed in environmental and concluded with, and I don't think this is the first time he's had a problem. You're not just trying to discredit him so we dump him, are you? No, sir. Lois wants him aboard. He blinked at me. Lois wants him aboard, he repeated. Yes, sir. We have to keep him from killing anybody or getting himself killed. He paused and looked hard at me for about a half a tick. Finish your story, he said. I told him what C.C. had told me about his last ship and how he'd been injured and left behind. Mr. Von Nichols' eyes narrowed about halfway through, and I could see he was tracking the same rabbit I was. When I got done, he sat for two heartbeats and said, You don't think he slipped? I shook my head. No, sir, I don't. Head trauma, concussion, he probably doesn't remember. If they were careful, he might not have seen it coming. So when he does come to, laying in a pool of water from the drippy scrubber with a headache, I shrug. Solicitous shipmates tell him what happened and take him to the hospital and leave him there. He chewed on that mentally for a bit before focusing back on me. So why isn't this Brill's discipline problem, he asked with a grin, and what kind of sneaky do we need? How desperate would they have had to have been to clock him in the head with a spanner? Assuming it was a spanner, but I take your meaning. You're thinking that they tried all the normal kinds of things, and he was still putting them at risk, to the point where they were willing to risk killing him before he killed them, yes, sir. Why not just fire him? Well, I don't know, sir. That's one of the two things we need to find out. What's the other? Whether or not we're right about the spanner. In case it was really attempted murder, he asked. In case we need to use it ourselves, I told him. He looked startled at that, but nodded. Okay, but why bring it to me? Why not Mr. Kelly? We'll need to eventually, and the captain too, but I need help getting the decks lined up here so that I'm not accused of trying to dump him so I can keep my job. Oh, that's the kind of sneaky you need. I think so, sir, I said. Have I missed anything? I don't think so, Mr. Huang. Why do you ask? Well, with our lives on the line, sir, I think I'd like to have a second set of eyes, I told him with a grin. Why, Mr. Wong, he said with mock surprise, you were listening. We settled down to strategies and tactics then. I was gratified to notice the pile of unopened computer parts still stuck away in the office, but I focused on the task at hand. In less than half a stand, we had ironed out the list of questions we needed answered, and I left him to start tracking them down. As I was leaving the office, he said, you know the Audrey has a berth. Yes, sir, I said, I don't believe I'll be applying for it any time soon. No, he asked. Why not? I never developed a taste for bunk bunny. He was chuckling into his tablet when I closed the door. The afternoon was gone by that time, and I had duty in the morning. But the ship was leaving the day after. I headed back to Environmental to see if Brill and Diane wanted to go out to eat. It would be one of our last opportunities at Petrus. I was pretty sure I'd be leaving with them, but I wasn't above playing the pity card to get two good-looking women to dine with me. I hadn't seen Beverly in days, and she wasn't aboard. I'd checked. When I got to Environmental, Brill and Diane were still discussing Cece. Brill was saying, but he says he did it and he didn't. That's falsifying logs. True. But what are we going to do about it? Diane asked. Document, 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 Brill replied. And in the meantime, we need to figure out what's his story. 
I had one version from him, I told him. I'm trying to confirm it. The slipped on the leaky scrubber story? Brill asked. Yeah, that's the one. You think it's true? She asked. I think he may well think it's true, I said, but I'm not sure he knows. How can he not know? Diane asked. Somebody hits you from behind with a big wrench and you wake up having people telling you you slipped and fell, what would you believe? What? Brill asked. I shrugged. It's possible that they were at the end of their collective ropes with him, either afraid that he was putting the ship in danger or just tired of cleaning up his messes. They both gaped at me. Do you think somebody would try to kill him? Brill asked. I shrugged. Would you if you thought he was putting your ship in danger? I asked. Why not just fire him? I don't know. That's an interesting question, isn't it? Any bigwigs named Colby and Federated Freight? They both shrugged. Well, the ship's getting underway in less than two days, and this may be the last chance we can go out to dinner together for a long time. So you in? Oh, my, Diane said. It is. Brill took a deep breath and said, Yeah, let's do it. Okay, main lock, 1830. Will that give you time to get yourself together, Di? I asked. Yep, she said. Should be, but... Oh, I know, I said. But we're going to have to go have fun and trust Lois. Trust Lois? To do what? Diane asked. I just smiled. Whatever needs doing, and to let us know if there's something we need to do for her. I waved as I headed for birthing to change. Chapter 15. Petrus Orbital, 2352, June 17. When Sean woke me for the watch, I managed not to scrub my knee getting out of the bunk. I had a hard time believing that this would be my last day aboard the Lois. It just didn't seem possible. Even as I was showering and cleaning my teeth, I said to the face in the mirror, I can't leave. I'm not done here yet. He didn't look like he believed me, and I had a sudden pang over the yet part, but I think it was the first time that I'd ever really thought that I might be. Leaving, that is. The oddity of which was compounded by the realization that I hadn't been aboard a year yet. Idly, I contemplated the idea that we may have had, perhaps, just one too many glasses of wine over dinner. I'd have to ask Fong if he'd had any incriminating evidence of our return when I relieved him. In the meantime, I finished zipping into my ship suit and fetched some meager sustenance from the galley. I wasn't terribly hungry, actually, but the coffee tasted good. Pip had taken my advice on the number two urn, and the pastry was different. I suspected Sarah had been busy. Fong just shook his head and laughed. He looked perfectly sober and relaxed coming in. How much do you want for the digitals? I asked him with a grin. Seriously, I didn't take any digitals, he insisted. Okay, video. He shook his head and laughed. Sorry, if I had any salacious evidence of misconduct between you and any member of the crew, I could get big creds. But I'm doomed to remain a poverty-stricken spacer of uncertain providence, I fear. Who? Well, almost any of the women aboard. Roan's been capturing the lock pickups just on the odd chance, he said with a laugh. You're kidding, right? Yeah, he said with a smug grin, but I had you going, didn't I? I chuckled. Yeah, you got me. We shared a laugh, and he headed back into the ship. Nice guy. I hoped I wasn't going to be put in the position of having to miss him. Half a stand later, Mr. Von Nichols ambled out to the watchstander station. Good morning, Mr. Wong, he said with a grin. Enjoying your last gangway watch? Oh, yes, sir. A regular laugh riot, sir, I told him, around a grin of my own. The Bolton is en route to Umber, but I've got a query as far as the orbital there. It'll hold until she makes contact. We should have a reply by the time we hit Nile. I talked to Mr. Maxwell, and he's contacted the station medical for an update on his medical records for our files. Those who should have any minute now. No word yet on why he may have higher-level protection, but if what you suspect is right, we'll have enough documentation by the time we get to Nihal to take action and find out for ourselves. You keep saying we, Mr. Funicles. Do I? He said with a smirk. I meant the ship, of course. Of course, sir. Easily misunderstood, sir. Your instincts are right, though, Ish, he said softly. Something's not right here. We just need to find out what. Well, I appreciate the information, sir, I told him. Thank you. 
He winked and headed back into the ship. After that, it was a standard day watch. The usual comings and goings, and I even saw Beverly crawling back aboard mid-morning. She looked terrible. You all right? I asked. No, she said bitterly. You cannot leave the ship yet. I'm not done with you. Then she stumbled down the passageway toward the burbing area. I sighed. I hoped all this was moot, but even with all the reassurance from the various quarters, I still had no job, and according to the existing scenario, I'd be leaving the ship next morning. I sighed again and bipped Art for another coffee. When Ron relieved me that night, she looked subdued. She thought I was leaving. She did all but throw her arms around me and sob. I told her I'd see her in the morning. Mr. Maxwell met me at the head of the passage and said, Expect a summons to the cabin around 0900, Mr. Huang. You're at liberty, but please be aboard no later than 0830. Aye, sir, I said. He nodded then and ambled back up the passage, climbed the ladder to officer country. Whatever they were planning, I'd known a few stands. In the meantime, dinner was singing its siren song as the scent of spiced beefalo wafted all the way out from the galley, and I answered willingly. For last night in port, it was pretty busy on the mess deck. I heard several people making plans for going out later, so it wasn't going to be one of those hunkered down and waited out nights. I was contemplating the possibility of heading to infinity myself. If the hints were real, then I could expect something odd to happen in the morning, and I'd be leaving on the lowest. One more night out before heading out to the deep dark sounded good. As I was filling my plate, I was looking around for somebody to go with. Hey, Ish, Pip said. Fancy a bit of a boy's night out. Last night in port, you know, he said with a wink. It's just what I was thinking, I told him. You have any ideas? Several, but they'll have to keep until later. He clapped me on the shoulder and scurried back to the kitchen. I found a seat with Brill, Francis, and Diane. Are you saving this for CC? I asked with a grin. Short timers can sit here, I guess, Francis said with a smile, and I plunked myself down. Where is he, anyway? I asked. Getting changed for liberty. Last night, and he has some goodbyes to say, apparently, Brill said dryly. Well, thanks for dinner last night, guys, I said to Diane and Brill. It meant a lot to me. Francis turned to me and lowered his voice. Are you really leaving? he asked. I shrugged. Honestly, I don't know. I don't think so, but I've got no job as of right now. I'm on liberty until 0830, and then I have to be ready to meet with the captain at 0900. Cutting it a little fine, aren't they? he asked. Well, only if they plan on leaving me here. He shrugged then. True. I turned to Brill and Diane and asked, So, how'd the golden boy do on watch today? No maintenance scheduled for today, Diane said, so no new evidence. I sighed. Well, all you can do is keep an eye on him. They nodded sadly, and we had a moment of shared shrugging. The beefalo was delicious, though, and even Cookie came out with Callie to say hi. So, you have any news for us, Ishmael? he asked. Sorry, Cookie, I think I'll be finding out in the morning just before pull-out. He smiled. Sarah says that Lois is not yet done with you. I believe she is right. So, what would you like for dinner tomorrow night, he asked. Tomorrow night you'll be underway, Cookie, I pointed out. I know, he said with a grin. What would you like for dinner? You know that chicken with cream sauce you make with the pasta and vegetables? Indeed, he said. That's what we'll be having for dinner tomorrow night, then. He clapped me on the shoulder. Have fun with Pip tonight, but stay out of trouble. He grinned one final grin and headed back to the galley. Lois isn't done with you yet, Francis asked. That's what Sarah thinks. Who am I to argue? Well, at least we know what we're having for dinner tomorrow, he said. Diane and Brill just looked sad. I turned to Brill and asked, Are you going out tonight, too? She just shook her head. After Dunsany, I'm still a little raw. Diane and I both burst out laughing, and Frances looked confused. When Brill's brain finally caught up with what her mouth had said, she just groaned and hung her head, but she was smiling. I looked at Francis. And you? Big plans? He shook his head. I used up all my big plans days ago. I just want a good night's sleep and to shake the system off my shoes. I want to be moving again. We finished our dinners. The spicy beefalo was spectacular, and I savored every morsel. 
As certain as I was that I'd be aboard when the ship was headed out, I couldn't ignore the reality that I might be sitting in the orbital watching them go. There was a lesson for me there. As sure as I was, it was all out of my control. I chuckled at the thought that I'd ever thought anything else. When we broke up, Diane was heading back to environmental, Brill was heading for her bunk, and Francis heading for the sauna. Brill looked over her shoulder at me as she left. See you at breakfast, she said, and stepped out into the passage. I sighed, wishing it could be breakfast in bed. I caught Pip's eye in the galley and pointed down, mouthing the word birthing, and he nodded. It was time to get ready. I wondered idly if the Alistair tag team was going to be out. By 2030, Pip and I had checked out with Ron at the gangway. You are coming back, aren't you? She asked uncertainly. You bet your bee, I told her. She grinned. I'll hold you to that. As we crossed the dock heading for the lift, Pip asked, Bee? She has a little honeybee tattoo. Really, he said. I've never seen it. You've never had gangway watch, I commented dryly. Was seeing the tattoo worth the watch standing, he asked. No, I admitted, but it did liven up that night a bit. Where is it? About six inches down for her navel. But that's... I nodded. You see some interesting things struggling back aboard at 0300, I observed. Now, where are we going? Head for the O2 level. We didn't go to infinity, as I expected. Pip took me to a little bar to starboard. It was about a quarter of the way around the station, almost as far from infinity as you could go without approaching it from the other side. Compared to the big, raucous cavern that was infinity, this was a cozy place. There were padded booths around the walls and some tables on the floor. The bar was set in the middle of the place, and you could walk all the way around it. In the far corner, a trio of musicians was setting up, but the sound checks they did were subdued. There was no dance floor. Small groups were scattered about, mostly in the booths, but some gathered around tables. We walked in, and Pip picked a table to the side where we could watch the people coming and going. When the waitress came over, I almost didn't recognize that she was the waitress without the cut-down ship suit. She greeted Pip by name and offered him the usual, so I figured he'd been here a few times. Pip turned to me and said, They brew their own beer here. The chocolate stout is good, and they have a very nice ice beer that'll kick your ass. I asked the waitress, What's your favorite? Oh, I like the amber box, she said. Well, I'll take that, please, I told her with a smile. We settled in, and I turned to Pip. This doesn't seem the kind of place I'd expect to find the tag team. They introduced me to it, he said. Just because they're hedonistic perverts doesn't mean they don't like a nice pub, he joked. They introduced you, I asked. Sure. What do you think they do in the booze? That startled me so much, I twisted my head. I didn't notice any kind of lewd behavior going on when we came in, but I certainly didn't want to miss out. Made you look, Pip said. We were still chuckling when the waitress brought the beers. I paid and told Pip he'd need to get the next round. The bock was good, and Pip was admiring his beer when the tag team showed up. Pip rose and kissed each soundly before holding their chairs. Katie, Jeanette, this is my friend Ishmael Huang. Pip did the introductions. I recognize you, Jeanette said. You were at the table that night on Thonsny. That's me. You're the perfect straight man, thanks. I raised my glass and toast, and we ordered them beers when the waitress came back. The jazz trio started playing shortly, but the music was a pleasant accompaniment and not a wall of sound. The tag team really were delightful women. Katie had a warm smile and an innocent face that belied the wickedly sexual sense of humor beneath. Jeanette was the devil-may-care one. She was completely, unselfconsciously woman. I could see what Pip could find so fascinating about them, over and above the obvious attraction of being called upon to sacrifice himself upon the altar of their collected bodies. We had a couple of rounds of beer, and it was obvious to me that they wanted to take Pip back for one last night of fun before they headed out. The Alistair was actually getting underway before the lowest, so they were short on time was equally obvious to me that they didn't know what to do with me. Pip obviously thought I'd be going along for the ride, as it were, but the tag team, just as obviously, weren't comfortable with that idea. 
After almost half a stand of dithering without actually coming out with it, I turned to Katie and said, You girls better take him back and get what good you can out of him. He's not going to be worth squat tomorrow if you don't. I winked at her and gave her a little head nod. Pip was concerned. I thought we were going to have a boys' night out. Pip, you moron. I got burned out by the McGuire board. Pip, you moron. I got burned out by the McGuire twins when I was 16. Don't worry about it. I'll see you in the morning. Katie gave me a kiss on the cheek and said, We won't hurt him too much and they left. I still had half my beer, and it was good beer. The trio was in the middle of a set, and I had no place I needed to be, so I settled down to enjoy both of them. About the time the trio was wrapping up their last number, and my beer was getting down to the foam in the glass, the waitress brought me another beer and pointed to the lady at the bar who'd sent it. I raised a glass and toast, and she raised hers in return. I smiled when I realized that the women on the far side of her were egging her on, and I suspected she was being dared. I settled down to see how it would turn out, and eventually she stood and came over to my table. She wasn't gorgeous, but she was quite cute, perhaps 25. I couldn't get a read on the group she was with, but she was definitely spacer. I stood and held a chair for her, positioning it so she wouldn't see her friends giggling at her discomfort. Thanks for the beer, I said. My name is Ishmael. I stuck out my hand. Wendy, she said, and shook tentatively. I sat down beside her where I could see her friends and still see her face. So they're giving you a hard time, huh? I said, quietly, hiding my mouth with the glass. She giggled nervously. A bit. They think I'm the shy one. And are you? I asked. She shrugged a one-shoulder shrug and said, Yeah, a little. What ship? Anson Phelps. You? Lois McKendrick, I said. Then asked, What do they think you should do? They were giving me a hard time before we came in about being too picky. So when we came in and you were sitting there with your friends, I said something like, He's cute. Too bad he's with somebody. I figured they'd leave me alone. I laughed. Then Pip and the tag team took off, and I'm here alone, and they think you should make a pass at me? Something like that, she said. I'm flattered, I told her with a grin. Flattered? That you'd think I was cute enough to make a pass at. I paused and gave her a little flirty look that I knew her friends could see because they were doing that hand-to-the-face, peek-through-the-fingers-I'm-not-really-looking-in-your-direction thing. You do think so. It wasn't just something you said to shut them up. I leaned toward her a little. Oh, yes, she said with a little grin. I spotted you when we walked through the door. So, tell me, Wendy, I said softly leaning in a bit more. Do you get more points if I kiss you or if you kiss me? What? Somebody here is going to get kissed, and I just want to make sure that you get the credit for it with the peanut gallery at the bar. She looked at me straight on for the first time since she'd come over, and I smiled slyly. Would you mind terribly, she asked, if I kissed you first? Be gentle with me, Wendy, I told her, and tilted my head so they'd get a good look when she closed in. She paused about halfway. I looked her dead in the eyes and said, Please be thorough. I hate being only half-kissed. She leaned into me then and did a very thorough job of it indeed. After quite a long time, she pulled back and asked with a wicked little grin, Was that thorough enough? Well, your friends got quite a charge out of it, but not half the charge I got, I told her, after I caught my breath again. Do you suppose you might do that one more time just to see if you'll like it? Hmm, she said, finally relaxing. Yes, I suppose I might, in the interests of research. She was as good as her word. It was actually quite a long time before I caught my breath. Damn, you're good, I told her. Ah, oh, you're just saying that. No, I wouldn't do that, I told her. Not even if you thought it would get you anywhere? Where would I need it to get me, I asked. Oh, I don't know, she teased, maybe into my bed. Well, I said, leaning in and whispering, do you want me in your bed? She brushed her lips across mine and said, bed hell, if you don't take me out of here right now, that table will do. As soon as she said it, the did I say that out loud look flashed across her face. So I kissed her firmly and said, your place or mine? Do you have a place, she asked. No, but I can get one, I grinned. 
Mine, she said, and then more boldly, I'm not waiting that long for yours. My gracious, I do believe I may not be safe with you, I told her with a grin. Oh, I won't hurt you, she said, unless you ask me very, very nicely. And then she giggled and said, I'm sorry, I've always wanted to say that. Well, hold that thought and let's go say it so your friends can hear. She laughed then and started to balk, but I stood and helped her to her feet, holding my arm so she could hang on it, letting her lead me to her friends who were now giggling almost uncontrollably among themselves. At least one said, she's not going to bring him over here, is she? In pure panic. We got to where they stood, and Wendy said, girls, this is Ishmael. Ishmael, my shipmates. I won't bother you with their names, because when I'm done with you, you won't remember your own. They gasped and tittered as she kissed me rather soundly again. Am I going to be safe with you, I asked. No, she said, but I won't hurt you unless you ask very, very nicely. And she took my lower lip in her teeth and just let them scrape gently across. I swallowed hard and said, that sounds fair enough. We turned as a unit, and as she led me out of the bar, don't wait up, girls, I'm going to be a while, she called over her shoulder. She strutted proudly until we got around the corner and out of sight, and then collapsed against the bulkhead as her legs gave way from the uncontrollable laughter. You know you left them gaping after us, I said. I'll bet they're still sitting there with their mouths hanging open. We were both laughing now. As we got closer to the lift, she said, Thank you, Ishmael. For what? I asked. For putting on such a good act. You made my reputation in there. I stopped in the middle of the corridor and turned to her. What act? I asked with my lips just a centimeter from hers. Do you want to go back to use the table? I waited to see what she would do. She kissed me very nicely. After due consideration, I think the bed might be more comfortable for you she said boldly again. Have I told you how much I admire a woman who knows what she wants and isn't afraid to demand it? I asked with a grin. Well, right now, mister, I want you on that lift. When I get you to my room, I'll see what else I can think of. Several hours and at least three different instances of, I've always wanted to try that, later. We both collapsed in a pool of soggy sheets, giggling like kids. When we stopped laughing, she looked up at me and asked, when do you have to be back? I have to be aboard by 0830, you? Not till noon, she said. We both looked at the chrono. Oh, three fifteen. Do you want me to leave so you can sleep? I asked. Actually, I was kind of hoping you'd stay and sleep with me a little. I rolled over and pulled my tablet out of my jacket, set the alarm, and put it down where I could grab it easily before punching the light controller and pulling the blankets up around us. What time did you set it for? She asked, already beginning to drift away as she snuggled into me. Oh, six hundred. That should give us enough time to go around again before I leave. She giggled sleepily but said... Good, before nodding off. Thanks for listening to Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is from the Fox Hunters, an Irish slip jig originally recorded in 1984 by James Curran and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For a website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandis.org golden.